Hey, this is Scott Ferguson with Time to Shine Today. And if you really want to learn how to level up your life, you should be listening to the Shadows Podcast with my good friend, Bodie. Hey, Shadows listeners. If you're looking to make some extra income that also impacts people, then you need to look at becoming a certified leadership coach with Giant. If you don't already know, Giant has been in the leadership space for over 13 years. I got certified through Giant in 2018, and I've been teaching ever since. Just to give you some context, they used to own and operate the John Maxwell brands. They ran the LeaderCast conferences where Jim Collins, Henry Cloud, Malcolm Gladwell, and Simon Sinek, just to name a few, were regular speakers. They have over 500 coaches worldwide working in over 127 countries and are being hired by companies like Google, Chick-fil-A, Pfizer, Delta, and more. And yes, you can do this too. I know this might sound intimidating, but Giant will literally give you everything you need to start your own coaching business from scratch. You get hands-on training from top-level coaches to learn the exact methodology and tools that six-figure coaches are using. You get an all-in-one online platform to run your entire coaching business, even if you want to work 100% remotely. And you'll get to join a thriving community of coaches from all around the world. To get started, Giant is hosting a coaching business workshop to help you learn the ins and outs of how to build a successful coaching business. This is both for experienced coaches, consultants, and those who are looking to start coaching and consulting with little to no experience. If you want to hear the really good news, this whole workshop, it's free, 100% free. And you can reserve your spot by going to giant.tv forward slash shadows. Why not give it a shot? What's better than making a positive change in people's lives and making some extra money in the process? Giant launches a new hiring cohort every month. Now, they only have 20 coaching slots available each month. So it's first come, first serve. So go ahead and make sure you reserve your spot. If you're ready to make an impact and get paid doing it, go to giant.tv forward slash shadows, giant.tv forward slash shadows. All right, so I want to welcome everybody to another episode of The Shadows Podcast. I am your host, Trip Odenheimer. And before we get started, it's cheap plug time. I'm going to plug our new website, www.theshadowspodcast.com. Go check us out. We have all of our episodes available for you to listen to. And while you're there, it's kind of a one-stop shop. You can leave us five stars as to what you think of the, the only five stars. Uh, as to what you feel for the episodes that you've listened to. But yeah, definitely check us out. Leave us some feedback. Um, you know, I was just talking earlier about how this is pretty much, I'm, I'm doing all this. I'm going to have no idea how bad I'm doing unless some of y'all give me some feedback. So I'm expecting. Unless uh, everyone gives you five stars. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody give me five stars, but then send me a message and tell me that I'm not doing good. That's how this works. All right. But... <clears throat> I am so thrilled. This is something that I have been, uh, someone I have been wanting to talk to for quite some time. We got in contact probably a couple of months back now at this point. Yeah, but, I think three or four months back. Yeah, we've actually connected a couple of times. Uh, she's actually helping us out with uh, an event in July with the Air Force. And um, 
I mean, we're Angels 14, but I'm here with Van Lai Dumont. She is the founder of WorkSmart. She is a TEDx speaker. What if the life-changing power of curiosity? Definitely check that out. We'll have the link to that in this episode description as well. But ma'am, thank you for taking time to join us here finally on the Shadows Podcast. Yes, I am happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to have this discussion. Yeah, and before we even get started with that discussion, we have a couple of icebreaker or rapid fire, or I may edit it out with whatever our new name is going to be for that. <laughs> All right. First question, if you could trade jobs with someone for one day, what job would you do? I would be a farmer. Farmer? Yes. Really? Okay, like, why like, a farmer? Like, um, like, far, like farmers who have like goats and sheep and cows. I don't know. I just like, I feel like that's my, my, another, another calling, another time in this life or another lifetime. What's ironic about that is so many guests that I've had on the podcast, uh-huh. Scott Mason, Shay Sparks, Jeremy Kubitschek, every one of them, their backstory is when they were a kid, they worked on a farm. Wow. And they went off to be very successful. So that's interesting. So yeah. I'm going the opposite direction. You're going completely, you, you want to go back to that, but you're already successful. I can, I'm trying to picture you with like the straw hat and the overalls. Oh, I'm, I'm all about it. I'm going to get fat too. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, why not? Get <laughs> the gloves, like rubbing dirt, you got dirt on your nose. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> so if you were completely superficial, selfish, what would you really want in life? Would you want money, fame, respect? Oh my gosh, that's interesting. If if I were completely superficial, what would I want? Um, I think, I mean, this is like sounds very weird, but I would just like someone to come clean my house every day. Just have a, <laughs> I would never, I would man. never want to pick up a, a rag or a spray bottle to clean my house ever again. Yeah. That sounds amazing to me. That does sound nice. Yeah. I have OCD, so I walk in the house oh. and I'm cleaning. I have to, I have to be. They would be so nice to sit back, but I would probably get, go crazy feeling like I have to go behind them. And oh my god! I I'll tell you, my mom was over at my house the other day, you know, because of COVID, she hasn't been able to come over. But now they're all vaccinated. She came over and she just starts cleaning. I'm like, this is why I miss my mom. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's why my mom misses me. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. Yeah, my mom would love you. She would adore you. So what is something about yourself or your life that might surprise our listeners? Oh, something about myself that might surprise our listeners that I am kind of a slob. <laughs> <laughs> That's I why you need a cleaner. Do, yes, I don't do well. I mean, I, you know, as you know, I'm very creative. So I do a lot of projects around the house, but I'm not great at cleaning up after my projects. Okay. I'm imagining your house with like Legos all over the place and all over the place, glue okay. sticks rolling around. Okay. <laughs> yes. Now I'm like looking at everything in your background. I'm like, okay. It looks neat on completely the staged, completely staged. Okay. Used to the other side of the computer. <laughs> so if you could follow someone around for a day, who would you follow and why? This is, I mean, I mean, it's interesting because he's here all the time. So I, but he didn't let me follow him around my child, like my eight-year-old son. I would love to follow him around because when he, when I am with him, like I always learn so much from him and just yeah. like, I'm just like, 
he's, you know, I talk about curiosity a lot and just his curiosity and the things that come out of his mouth. I just have, I'm just entertained and I'm learning. He told, he, he told me the other day as we we're getting gas, like, mama, do you know that, um, that oil is in solid form when it's in the ground? And I thought he was wrong. I was like, okay, Nico. Thanks. And he's like, he's like, it is, he's like, it is mama, because haven't you ever wondered why the ground doesn't just absorb it all? I was like, huh, maybe he has a point. <laughs> so as he's talking, I'm Googling this. And he's like, oh my gosh, this kid is right. <laughs> so How he's, old is he? He's eight. He's just like this wealth of knowledge. I would love to follow him around and just hear his thoughts all throughout the day. See where he got that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, like, where does he get this information? It's not from me. Yeah. Wow. That's good stuff, though. Yeah. my If I were to bring that to my 13 and 21 year old, they'd both look at me like, huh? Right. Yes. <laughs> or so, this 48 year old. Yeah, exactly. Good on him. All right. So you survived our uh, rapid fire round of questions. So I felt like I was back in Catholic school, like a pop quiz. That was <laughs> like an interview. So now uh, we're, we're going to go on a little elevator ride here for our listeners. Okay. They are a couple minutes into this episode. You have 90 seconds to tell them in a snapshot who you are. Okay. Go. Okay. Hi, everyone. My name is Van Lydemone. I am a mom, um, a sister, a, a sister, a wife, a child to my mom and my dad. And I, um, I'm a creative. I've always been creative my whole life. And this, at this point in my life, I am an entrepreneur. I run a company called WorkSmart, where I bring creativity into the workplace, help other people be creative. And let me see, what else can I say? Oh, I love dogs and animals. Um, and I'm a Vietnamese refugee. I came here to this country in 1975 with my family, which I'm sure we'll get into. And currently, other than running my company, I also love to travel. And in the past two years, I have become an advocate and an ally to veterans, which is how I, I met Trip. Okay, very good. It was actually pretty interesting when we first connected. I just released, I think, the episode with Jeff Fryer. And we were talking and you were like loyal and marymount that's right that's and you're right. like i'm right down the road from him. yes yes Which absolutely is, it was crazy how that lined up i was like that's the connection it's my latest episode yeah mm-hmm. absolutely like i could so, walk I, I was actually walking through loyal and marymount last night there's a great little path there to, to hike through i still i still have to go there and see the hank gathers statue oh yeah I yeah i have to do that um so Take us back. You were, you were, uh, your upbringing, you mentioned born in Vietnam and then thank you for the year. Cause I'm going to add that to my notes and make it sound like I was even more prepared. So 1975, <laughs> your yes. parents fled Vietnam as war refugees. So, uh, please explain to our listeners, like kind of that, that backstory. Sure. So I was two years old at the time, um, in 1975 and my dad was a Colonel in the South Vietnamese air force. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because I don't, I don't have memory at all because I was two, but the stories I hear. So we, we lived on the Air Force Base in, in Saigon, which is now Ho Chi Minh City. And my dad went into work that day and was told that this is the end. You need to get out today. Get your family out any way you can. So he rushed home to my mom and basically told her the same. And, and it, my grandfather lived with us and my aunt who was 16 at the time just happened to have been spending the night and there's no time to get her back to her parents. So my parents are very religious because they feel like there's so many miracles that happened for us to be able to get out that day. So we, 
we would live in the Air Force Base and everyone was told, everyone who worked with the Americans were told to go to the American embassy. And I don't know if you've seen any of the images of Saigon on that day, April, April 20th and 30th, 1975, but thousands of people tried to make it into the embassy and people were throwing their babies over the gates trying to get them out of the country. So that's where we were about to head. And my dad had a brand new Jeep, it wouldn't start. Like his, his brand new Jeep just wouldn't start. And that my dad calls that sort of like the first miracle that happened for us. Because if we had gone to the embassy, we would have been stuck there just like everyone else. Um, so during this time, he was trying to figure a way out and two of his soldiers drove by in Jeeps and said, get in, there's two airplanes left on the base and we can get you out that way. Because the, air, the, the plan was to get as many people out um, through airplanes as possible if there was an evacuation but the North Vietnamese um, bombed the Air Force Base. So there was basically no way out, but there were two airplanes left. So we were able to get out on one of those airplanes, land on a small, small island off of Vietnam, and then we waited for rescue and help there. Um, and our first home here, so once we were able to get out of there, we came to first Guam, and then we were sent over to Camp Pendleton in San Diego, which was our very first home here in the United States. What do you remember? What are some of your earliest memories about growing up in, in um, San Diego uh, area? Nothing. Like, I don't remember anything from my, and, and you know, it's like, it's one of those things too. I was only two, so I don't, I don't think I would have memory, but my sister was four. Some of the other children who I've met around eight or nine years old at the time, I think it was so traumatic that so many yeah. people just blocked it. Um, a four-year-old should have some memory. My sister has no memory. Although, she must have some memory because I remember when, you know, being in our first apartment about two or three years later, when she was teaching us, you know, childhood games, our childhood games were like, grab a, grab a, um, a pillowcase, put as much as you can into it and run. Right. Those are the games she was teaching us. Yeah. So clearly like, that's not a normal or like, or hide under the table. The bombs are coming. Right. Like those are the childhood games I grew up with. Cause that's the, like, my, my older sister was teaching us these games. So even though she says she has no memory of that time, like this really, she clearly does. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. wow. And how did your parents uh, adjust to being in the U.S.? So at Camp Pendleton, it was, it, I mean, the, we, we owe so much to the Marines during that time and, and the Marines at Camp Pendleton who set up tents for us with 24 hours notice for 18,000 refugees who showed up the next day. Um, and no, I mean, my parents were like, they were scared. Like they had no idea. We came here with one suitcase, no money, and they had no idea what their future was going to be. And when we left Vietnam, you know, clearly there's no communication with our family back there too. So for a good year and a half, no, knew, no one back home knew if we were alive and we didn't know who was alive back home. So at first we were at Camp Pendleton for about, about two or three months. And then we were transferred to a refugee integration center up in um, Sacramento called Hope Village. And that was more of an integration center rather than a refugee camp mm -hmm. where, where we were able to get sponsors and people came and volunteered to help, to help people find new careers. And so when you talk about the adjustment period, I mean, my dad was a colonel in the South Vietnamese Air Force. He came here at the camp. There was nothing for him to really do. They were trying to train people on careers. And I'll tell my mom's part of the story here and then I'll move back to my dad. Yeah. So at the camp, there was a woman there, a, um, a movie star, Tippi Hedren. She was famous for her role in Alfred Hitchcock's movie, The Birds. Yep. She came to that camp as a volunteer to help train these women in a career. So she brought in a typist and a seamstress, but my mom and some of her friends were, were just had this curiosity about Tippi's long red manicured nails. And this is what my TEDx talk is about. 
And Tippy clearly could have just said, great, thank you for admiring my nails, keep typing and sewing. But she paid attention to that curiosity. And she said, what, what if? Like, what if we can get them trained and licensed as manicurists? So that led her down this path of bringing in her local manicurist to teach them how to do a basic manicure. And then she took a, a step further, went down to local beauty school and asked them, will you take on these women as students without, you know, they didn't have money, they couldn't pay tuition, they barely yeah. spoke English. Um, but that school also said yes. So within 10 weeks, my mom and her friends were, were licensed manicures. And then we all got sponsored to different places around the country. We got sponsored by a church here in Santa Monica called St. Augustine by the Sea. They got us a little two bedroom apartment and Tippy came to the apartment, took my mom around to look for a job. So she got her first job as a manicurist. And the way my mom tells the story is like, she would sit there all day um, and maybe have one customer for $6. Right. And this went on for months until so she, she really had to grow her her business there. Yeah. Um, and and after, you know, the the first wave of refugees, other refugees and immigrants started coming, seeing that my mom was starting to make money, seeing that her other friends were starting to make money. And they all joined in this in this career and and built on it. Right. Some of them built built their own manicure shop. Some of them built a manufacturing companies. Some of them built schools to to train more Vietnamese manicurists. And 40 plus years later is an $8.3 billion industry. Yeah. So it's pretty incredible, you know, the progression of number one, one act of kindness and one, one act of kindness and one spark of curiosity, yeah. what that created for, for the Vietnamese community. And a couple um, of things with that is funny how now like curiosity is like one of your calling cards. Right. And stemming back to that. And then just to think at like how much of like a trailblazer your, your mom is. Oh, yeah. Um, that's crazy. Right. It's, 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 it's crazy, but it's, it's a story I grew up with all my life. So I thought nothing of it until I think it was the 40th anniversary of the fall of Saigon that this story just took hold. And my mom's been interviewed on CNN, NPR, there's been articles and books written about this, this story. And, and it's great because my mom worked so hard her whole life. Um, that it was nice to see her get some recognition for, yeah. for what she inadvertently created. Rightfully so. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So now, and I know this is something you just recently lost your father. So definitely my yeah. condolences go out thank to you. you. So, and thank you for opening up. How was his uh, transition to the U.S.? You know, so his his life has had always been a struggle. And I think he took that with him coming to the United States, too. I mean, he's he was he went from being a, a lieutenant colonel in South Vietnamese Air Force um, with all those accolades to coming here to this new country and start and just starting over, right? Starting over with absolutely nothing. You, he would stand on the street corners looking for jobs, right? Looking for the construction jobs. Um, his first, you know, he, and when we, we landed in our apartment in Santa Monica, he started, he started sending out resumes and looking for jobs and going out to, and looking for a position. And he, they would look at his resume be like, what are, you, what are you doing trying to work for the pest control company? You're like with this resume. So no one would hire him um, because he was overqualified, but he also didn't qualify for, for any jobs that he would have been qualified for in Vietnam, right? So yes, you're a Lieutenant Colonel in the, in the Air Force in Vietnam, but what does that mean here? Um, and so he ended up working for the pest control. They finally called him back. It was like, okay, we need people, come on in. He worked there for a few years. And then he found a role in the post office and he stayed there for the rest of his career. Um, and for my dad, it was all about stability, 
right? Safety and stability, because that's something he never had in his whole life. And, you know, some, some immigrants come here and take a lot of risks and really try to get that American dream by taking a risk. That was not my dad at all. My dad was all about get a job, stay in that job. And, and I see him now for, I, you know, I look back then as a child and be like, well, why don't you try to do something else? Why don't you, why don't you take more risks? Why don't you, you know, why don't you go for that promotion? And now I see it because I see him for what it was. Like he was, you know, he didn't want to lose it all again. Like yeah. he lost everything, including his country. So for him, risk was not an option. Yeah. Yeah. What, looking back at, I mean, what a, what a journey for both of them. What is one thing that, outside of curiosity, because I think that would be the obvious answer, something that you do to this day that you picked up on from your parents that you look back and you're like, ooh, maybe, wow, I think I got that from my mom or my dad. <laughs> okay. so, my, so for my dad, um, my stubbornness, right, okay. re- re- relentlessness. And from my mom, creativity. And okay. it does all kind of come back to curiosity because, again, because stability and safety were so prominent in our household, right? Like, you're gonna go get your education. Like, it wasn't if you're gonna go to college for me, it's like when you go to college. Mm-hmm. Um, that wasn't even an option. I didn't even know that, I didn't even know there was an option not to go to college. Um, <laughs> and so, so, for, so for my parents, like, they're, in their words, they always spoke about, um, security, right? Get your education, get a good job, work that good job until you retire and then enjoy your life. Yeah. That was in their spoken word, what they taught me in their actions on a daily basis was something different, right? On their, in their actions, what I saw them do every day was follow their curiosity, ask what if, and take small steps to discover new things. And it wasn't out of curiosity, like um, for curiosity's sake, for like, let's try this out. It was out of necessity, Right. If something broke in our house, we weren't we weren't calling in the plumber. You know, we're getting our duct tape (laughs) and whatever else is necessary to fix it. So in it was it was almost like curiosity for them was a necessity for survival, where for me is a luxury. Right. It's a luxury for me to be able to say, like, oh, what's that all about? Let me go discover that. So I so even though and it took me a while to kind of put the two together, um, but so even though my parents taught me in their, in their language and what they, what they said to me to, to seek a stable lifestyle, a stable career, what I saw them do is really what stuck with me. Like follow that curiosity, ask what if, take small steps and see what's possible. Okay. And you also mentioned college and how yeah. that, that wasn't even a question. It was, you know, when you go to college. So throughout your adjustment to the U.S., Growing up, what were some of the aspirations you had prior to uh, going to UC Santa Barbara? Oh my goodness! It's, it's so when I was younger, I remember my mom handed me this letter about three years ago that I written myself when I was eight or nine, and it was that I wanted to become a fashion designer. <laughs> so I wanted to become a fashion designer. I was always creative my whole life. My mom would buy me shoes and clothes. I would paint on them or rip them up and re-sew them. She thought you know, it drove her nuts, but that's like, that's what I realize about myself now is that creativity has always been a part of my life and it's who I naturally yeah. am. Um, and there were many, like, I wanted to be an artist. I wanted to be a fashion designer. I wanted to do all these, these creative things, but that just wasn't something that was nurtured in our family. Yeah. Well, question for you, kind of way off topic, 
but just kind of curious with your curiosity like it was that's something you hear a lot of parents say that they feel like is lacking right now because of technology because of mm -hmm. social media because of cell phones do you think that hinders a lot of children possibly because i remember when i was little i had nothing in front of me but imagination yeah. that's all i had and even with toys and stuff you had to be imaginative with it but what do you feel about that you know i'm I, I, I hesitate to say because we just don't know. I do feel it for myself. I have an eight-year-old son, as you know, who he spends a lot of time on the screen right now, particularly during this time when you know when he's at home a lot. Um, and I, I want to say that yes, it hinders his creativity in certain ways, right? So he's not doing a lot of the hands-on things I would like him to be doing, um, and discovering and, and and being outdoors and. And just create and just like doing imaginative play but i will tell you what my like that's what i think but then the reality of it is he comes out of playing these like minecraft and things like that with all these ideas so i'm yeah. wondering you know i'm wondering if it's just a new way for them to find imagination right yeah. I, I and i i just don't know i would rather spend less time on the screen of course and come and paint and do art and go uh, plant flowers with me but it's just not his interest um, yeah. I do what I can for that, but it's just not his interest, but he does find ways. And I guess it depends on what he's playing. Like Minecraft is all about creating. It's a little bit different because the pieces are there for you. And that's similar with, with I know we're going to talk about Lego series playing a little bit here, but same with Lego kits. Remember, we were, there weren't Lego kits, there was Lego pieces. Yeah. Like you just put Legos together and now you can buy all these kits and they tell you where to put the pieces. Um, yeah, so, so I, think, I think there is more of a lack of imagination, uh, imaginative play with technology, but he is gaining something from it as well. Okay. Yeah. All right. So next part of your journey is you studied uh, psychology at I UC did. Santa Barbara. I certainly did. What, what made you want to go that route and uh, what made you attend UC Santa Barbara? <laughs> okay. So remember I had no choice, right? I was going to college. Yep. So UC Santa Barbara had gone there the previous year just on a uh, a trip with some some friends and I just loved it. I just I mean gauchos, it, it, right? Gauchos. If you've yep. ever been to Santa Barbara as a 17 year old, <laughs> like that's the college you're going to. It's on the beach. It's right on the beach. It's beautiful. The weather's always nice. It's a gorgeous campus, and it's a party school. I wasn't a partier, but it was just like it was just a fun school to go to, and it's close enough to home that. I wouldn't be too homesick. I could always come home if I wanted to. So I applied to all the UC schools um, or a lot of the UC schools and UC Santa Barbara is one that accepted me and it was just my, my number one choice. So I went there for no other reason other than it was beautiful, yeah. literally. Psychology, again, because I, I mean, I didn't go to college knowing what I wanted to do. Um, I knew I had to go to college and psychology seemed like something that was interesting and honestly, at the time, I thought not too challenging. Although once I was in, I'm like, this is pretty challenging. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's the What's the biggest thing you learned about yourself during your time at Santa Barbara? Um, let me see. The biggest thing I learned about myself in Santa Barbara was that I was more independent than I thought I was. Hmm. Um, I was very, and I think it was like this. There's like this whole idea of like that. This like your body. Your body holds a lot of trauma. I was so attached to my parents when I was little, like, yeah. like anxiety attached. Like I wouldn't let them leave my side. 
Um, I clearly grew out of that. And in Santa Barbara, I really found my independence. Um, and then my mom makes like, she's, she jokes about it too, because she's like, when you were little, like you wouldn't even let me go to a movie. And now like in Santa Barbara, I started traveling a lot and doing, um, doing a lot of things on my own and, and really discover and really, and really kind of discovering my creativity where in childhood, um, I dabbled in it, but in, in at UC Santa Barbara, I really let it flourish. I started, I started a furniture company. <laughs> I shouldn't even call it a company, but I would, I would like go buy furniture from garage sales and, and you know, re like stain it and paint it and flip it. Yeah. Flip, I was flipping furniture. <laughs> yeah. That's smart. That's smart. Yeah. Hey, you weren't just sitting around eating ramen and stuff. You were doing stuff. Oh, we were doing plenty of ramen too. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> so from there you get your MBA from Pepperdine. Right. So you go to Pepperdine after that. And then from there, 15 years of, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, 15 years of corporate and startup experience, your clients have included, you've probably heard of a couple of these places, Google, LinkedIn, Pandora, which hopefully people are listening to this podcast on Pandora. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, tell us about, you know, life after Pepperdine. So life after Pepperdine was a lot of scattered, like going, running around, trying to find something that fit me. So after Pepperdine, I, um, I moved to San Diego to work for a company called SCORE Educational Centers, which is no longer in existence. They were a division of the Washington Post. And it seems ridiculous now, but it was these it, it was these retail locations for after-school programming where we had these, these round tables with computers around it and kids would come after school, for school and work on these computers to, um, as tutoring, right? So the computer sure. game would understand like their level and would increase their level. And it was really fun. It was a fun place at this thing called Score Mountain where the kids would come and move their little score character up the mountain as they, as they um, progress in, the, in their work. So I ran the region of San Diego as a 27 year old. I ran six centers and I was there for about three years. And when I was, when I was at Pepperdine, I had interned at Body Glove, the surf company. Yeah. And while I was in San Diego, I get a call from someone I worked with at Body Glove and said, I'm launching a division of Body Glove Women's Activewear. Would you like to come up and, and, and help me run it as a COO? And I said, yes. So I left San Diego, came back to LA and ran that um, for about a year and a half, not knowing at all what I was doing. I mean, a lot of my life was just saying yes and trying to figure it out. Um, like my the, getting my MBA was I heard I, I, I was on my way home from work one day and I heard a, a radio ad for Pepperdine's MBA program. And a week later, I was taking my my whatever the test you take for that. I'm cat. Yeah. I don't know what it's called. Um, and I got accepted. Right. So like a lot of my life has just been like, OK, let's just try that. Let's get talk curious. about let's some good that. advertising. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Um, and then from from that body glove job, I just I, you know, I went to some business consulting. I opened my own business, trying teaching women how to um, start start a business in the fashion industry. I I, um, I started a I started a company to selling um selling women's accessories online. So just a lot of different startups. And then back to corporate, I ended up at uh, GlaxoSmithKline Pharmaceuticals, um, you know, working, working in the West Coast division. And I stayed there for about nine years until I finally started this, this company. And all that time, I feel like I moved around so much because nothing felt like the right place for me, mm. right? I was always like, ooh, maybe that sounds better. Ooh, maybe that'll be a good Didn't place Didn't want to settle. Me. 
Yeah, exactly. And I was like, I just didn't know. I didn't know what I, um, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I just like to try new things. And, and finally, during that time at GlaxoSmithKline, I came up with this idea of a business using bring creativity into the workplace. It was also about bringing creativity into um, personal development where I'm like, oh, I'll just have some activism in my backyard. And, and I also wanted to get a school bus and into a, into like a creative art center and drive that around to, to kids' birthday parties. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. So, so after, so after I had my son, but when he was a year old, I decided, you know what, this idea has been in my head for a good six years. Yeah. Let's do something with it. And you did it. You got a school bus. I did not get a school bus. You did not get a school bus. <laughs> no, I did not get a school bus. Cause if you ask anyone who really knows me, I would have not done well. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to host kids' birthday parties. I do not have that type of patience. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine that, like the bus coming up and. Yeah, kids coming in. I mean, I, I'm telling people right now, I think it's still an amazing idea. If you have the capacity in your life and the, and the patience to do with both kids and parents at birthday parties, the idea is yours. Yeah. And that's a big thing, revamping school buses. I got a buddy of mine who basically has a house on wheels out of a school bus now. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so from there, now tell us about WorkSmart. Someone who's listening to this episode who's not familiar yet with WorkSmart, mm -hmm. fill us in on what that is. Sure. So WorkSmart is I do team and leadership development. So And I do it all through the lens of creativity, play, and experiential learning. So basically, any type of leadership training you can, you know, I, I do a leadership training program that's that's, I can do one-off programs like a conflict management resolution course, a communication course. But the way I like to present my work is that it's long-term, right? I, I, because I've been in the corporate world for so long, I see that a lot of companies will say like, okay, we need to do some training. So let's do a one-off training. Let's do one day of leadership training, yeah. a two-day two course. I've been through those courses and I leave with absolutely, basically nothing because there's so much information. So what I try to do with our, our course is, is extend it over a course of a year. And really is this idea of, de of, of, of leadership development, not so much like just train them on one thing and, and let them at it. Um, so what I do is I come in, um, the first month we would do, let's say we do a course on communication. The next month we come in and we would do a round table discussion with the group who went through the course, what worked, what didn't work, how did you use it? And then they have another month to, to Continue to react to continue to practice those skills, and then the third month we would come in with the next topic, um, so that you're 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 really learning six leadership topics over the course of a year with plenty of time to implement it and incorporate it into the work you do. Um, and also the other part that makes this different is that creativity part. So um, everything I yeah. do is through the lens of creativity, which means I bring in hands-on materials like Lego series play. We may do creative artifacts, which basically is rather than taking notes or on top of taking notes, creating something at the end um, with your own hands, you can take back to your desk or home with you to remind you and anchor you back to the work we did that day. Um, I've also expanded nice. my, my definition of creativity. So my type of creativity is very hands-on, but a lot of my co-facilitators are creatives. They do the same type of work I do in leadership team development but they do it through a different lens of creativity. So I might work with an improv artist, a spoken word artist, um, a, a DJ, and bring those the, their tools to the work I do as well. If our tactile listeners 
are able to sit through our auditory uh, episode here, they are probably salivating oh at everything yes. you just said in terms of, of your creativity. Actually, for those, for those tactile learners, and even those that are not, you pick up something by your desk right now and start building, building, building the learning points you're hearing during this. Or sketch them. Speaking of which, that brings us kind of next to the Lego series play that you do as well. Mm -hmm. So I heard something about you take like three or six like yellow Legos and it's like everybody build a duck. Right. Yes. And each duck looks different. But tell us about how you got involved with Legos. So when I started my business, it was all about um, like art, like visual arts. And that's how I would bring creativity in the workplace. And I realized I need to expand my toolkit and learn different methodologies. So I went to a conference in Buffalo, New York called um, Creative Problem Solving Institute. And it's, I mean, when I went there, I was like, oh my gosh, like these are my people and you should go too. I think I've suggested this to you before. It's an yep. amazing conference of creatives, but this idea of bringing creativity into education, into the workplace. So there's all these different modalities. And there was a, one of the workshops was Lego Serious Play. I, uh, there's an organization based out in Van Whistler, um, Whistler, Canada called um, Strategic Play. And they came mm -hmm. out to teach Lego series play, which is this facilitation methodology that clearly uses Legos. And the whole idea of it is to collaborate and think with your hands to come up with ideas. So, so yes, that's how, that's the, initially that's where I, where I found out about it. And then a girlfriend of mine who I met there took the certification and just recommended it to me. So I'm like, okay, I'll go. I'm like, who doesn't want to spend up in Whistler playing with Legos? Yeah. I was wondering if it got started because you probably had them all scattered around the house and you're like, I need to do something with these. Oh yeah. Yes. I mean, I, you know, actually my son actually started playing with them afterwards. And the funny thing is after I, um, I got certified, I was like, I need to buy Legos now because we don't have a lot in the house and you know, Legos are not inexpensive. So the first place I went was on this Facebook group called LA mommies and asked the moms there, anyone have Legos? They, they want, they're willing to give up. But these moms, man, they want their money back. They mm -hmm. were asking full price for those Legos. They do. They do. <laughs> like, so I, I ended up looking on Craigslist and I found this gentleman um, retired. And what he does is he sells Legos out of his garage. So I just showed up. He opens up his, his garage and he's like, take your pick. It's $5, like $5 a bag or something like that. So, so you, you actually Lego went dealer. to this guy's house that has a oh, yeah. house full of Legos. Yes. I'm like, oh my gosh, how like I serendipity. I'm like, how did like how does how does this man like who sells Legos out of his garage live five minutes from me? It's only meant to it was meant to be. Yeah. Craigslist, you can meet some interesting, interesting people on Craigslist. Very true. Yes. I tried to sell almost like our entire house when we moved from Arizona. And I was like, I'll do it strictly from Craigslist. How'd that go? Oh my gosh. Every day I came into work, I was like, let me tell you about this guy that I'm pretty sure he's wanted for something. Um, <laughs> but he bought an animatronic pony from us. So we're good. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, but so what do you think is one of the biggest benefits you've seen or feedback that you received from people uh, since you started doing uh, everything with Lego series play? So I think the biggest feedback from Lego series play and my work in general is that um, that I, I'm doing what I, what I intended to do is like bring creativity back into people's lives yeah. um, in professionally and personally, particularly with Lego series play. I, particularly with Lego series play, 
the idea of being able to share ideas in a way that establishes trust and builds collaboration. So the way Lego series play works in, in terms of methodology is you express a, a problem, a challenge, or something you're trying to innovate, and then everyone in the room gets to build an idea. And everyone in the room goes around now and shares that idea, and that idea gets pushed to the center of the table. Um, and then you ask people, build two more ideas, right? Or three more ideas, and then you start building. And some people may have three more ideas in their head, and some people don't. And that's when you, as a facilitator, say, just start thinking with your hands and see what comes up. Wild and crazy ideas are welcome here. So then people just start playing and really just building wild and crazy ideas. Like once you kind of run out of the ideas you already think you have, you just come up with things. And all those ideas are shared and pushed to the center of the table. And then we get to the second part where it's like, okay, great. Now here are the parameters to what we're trying to solve. So which of these ideas on the table or which combination of these ideas fit into those parameters? And now what you have people doing is collaborating and moving pieces around and playing together um, until we, so basically by the end, we, by the time you get to the finish line, everyone's had a say in what that, what that, what, what's, what the final result is. Um, and what you've done is built trust because all ideas make it to the table yeah. and you build collaboration because by the end, somehow everyone's had some say in what's, in what's happening at the end. Nice. And you actually, um, from there, you've also are a TEDx speaker. And that is something that I know, I know people who've tried to, to go that route. I think someone I know made it to like the third round of auditions for it. But uh-huh. talk to us about like, what made you want to do that? Because uh, public speaking is something that people are deathly afraid of. But yes. if you get up there and, and you mentioned telling the story about your mother, if, if it's called What If? The life-changing power of curiosity. Mm-hmm. Like I said, we'll have the link in this. But um, tell us about that whole process. I will tell you about that whole process, and it was not traditional. So, and and it also speaks to following curiosity, asking what if, and taking small steps. So, I have always wanted to do a TEDx talk, just as a, as a um, as an entrepreneur, get my name out there. Um, and I want to do it on creativity, but like, you know, like what is my angle on creativity that I could bring to a TEDx talk that hasn't been told before? Yeah. So I, you, I told you the story about my mom and this was November, 2019, I believe, or was it? No, it could have been 20. It must've been 19. Yeah. Um, November, 2019, I was, um, or maybe October. My mom had been invited to this gala to celebrate the 20, the first 20 Vietnamese manicures, Tippi Hedren. And I was sitting in the audience of 3,000 Vietnamese manicures who came from across the country in this celebration. And I was looking on stage and looking at my mom. I was like, what am I thinking? This is my story. Like, this, yeah. is, this is my talk. Like, who else can tell the story? So I left there being very clear that this is my TEDx talk, right? The story about following curiosity, asking what if, taking small steps, and the possibilities I can create, and wrapping around the story about my mom. So about a week later, I was just at home on LinkedIn and I saw a, saw a post from a woman I met one time at a conference that said, I'm co-producing a TEDx talk um, in Anaheim called TEDx Citrus Park Women, uh, Mission of Mavericks. So I clicked on that link. And as I was looking at the website, I was like, oh my gosh, like this, like I have to tell my mom's story on this stage, but she was only selling tickets. She had all her speakers oh. lined up already. So I bought a ticket, I closed my computer. I walked away. I said, nope, I'm going to see what if. So I emailed her and I said, you know, I saw that you're, you're hosting a TEDx talk. This is the story. 
I'd love to tell on your stage. And I waited and waited and waited. And I finally got an email back and said, we can make room for you. We want, we want you to tell a story on our stage. You have six weeks to prepare. <laughs> what was that preparation process like? Oh my gosh. So it was filling the freezer with frozen food for my family. Cause I was not taking care of anyone. But this. <laughs> <laughs> not going in the house. Not just never like still not cleaning the house. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so I wrote, I wrote the talk thinking that I wrote the talk as it was my mom's story. And fortunately I had a couple of friends who had done a TEDx talk before. So they were able to guide me and say, okay, you need a through line. Like what's your through line? So my through line is follow your curiosity, ask what if, take small steps to create possibilities for yourself and others. And then what I did was weave the story throughout, like weave my mom's story throughout, bring in some books I've been reading on it, some quotes um, and some history behind it. And that's what a TEDx talk is. I learned so much about the idea that a TEDx talk is not your story. It's what you can do for the audience. Like how is the story going to impact the audience? So a lot of the things you, when you write a TEDx talk, a lot of things that you love about the story, you need to cut out if it's not going to serve the audience. And so for six weeks, I, re I wrote, rewrote, memorized, talked it, like said it in my sleep. Because I, at least the stage I was on, there was no prompt, there were no notes, there was nothing. It was you standing on a red dot with lights facing you and people in front of you. And the fancy and you, TEDx background. And the, yeah, yeah. The, the fancy TEDx background, the fancy TEDx sign. And, and you had to know it word for word. And it was in knowing word for word that I could really make it my own and, and, and be comfortable telling it on that stage. But, but you're right, like the, it's, it's the fear of public speaking is real for everyone. Like, I don't think I have a fear of it, but I get nervous every time. Yeah. Especially on that stage. I, I yes. can't imagine. I know it's it, it, that, that stage, but then, you know, in hindsight for anyone who's going to do a TEDx talk, I, I recommend always advocating for yourself. So there's one part of my talk where I was mentioning the honor foundation and, um, you know, the organization that I volunteer for. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it really meant a lot to me to say the right thing about the honor foundation, right? They do, um, they work with special force operators as they transition from military to civilian careers. I missed one or two words in there that like, I don't think I said special force operators. I didn't say something. So after everyone had filmed that day, I, I stopped and I went to the cameraman and said, can I film that part over? And he said, yes. And I think it was wow. really important for, for people who are going to do a TEDx talk um, to advocate for yourself and ask for what you need. I even did some of my own editing. They, they sent me their edited version and I said that like, I want to re-edit it. And they allowed me to re-edit it. Wow. See, this is, this is good. This is some inside stuff that yeah, exactly. this is like, this is bonus content from the, the actual video. So now I got to go back and like rewatch it again. So I'll be like, that wasn't live. Um, <laughs> so, be an advocate for yourself. Also, you're an advocate uh, for the military and you've been involved in angels 14. So if you could, uh, it's something that you actually got me turned on yes. to is Angels 14. And I've been attending some of the meetings and it's phenomenal. It's such an amazing group. So tell us about Angels 14 and everything that you have done with the military. So my, it's again, very interesting. I got involved with, you know, of course, like all growing up, my dad was very pro-military, mm -hmm. um, you know, high, high amount of respect for the military. He actually came here at 18 years old and, and studied with the U S air force um, as a, as a, um, 
uh, from being in the Air Force in, in Vietnam. And then obviously during the war, he worked with a lot of the US Air Force and other military um, divisions. Uh, and then of course, we our first home here was at Camp Pendleton where the Marines really took care of us. Um, so all my life I had this, you know, this, this respect for the military and I've always wanted to give back. And through Lego Series Play, um, I found the Honor Foundation or they found me. So Joe Lara, who, who was the VP of programming had reached out to someone about Lego Series Play. I was on this, this Lego Series Play forum. Someone had posted, um, someone had posted like someone's looking for someone to do Lego Series Play in the San Diego area. So I reached out, was connected to Joe and we talked about their Waypoint program, which is a three month program helping um, military special force operators transition. And he's like, where do you think you could bring in Lego series play here? So I looked at their program. I suggested a few places I thought I could go. And what's interesting is that we landed on transition night, the night before graduation, for me to come in with my materials, my creative tools and help these men and women think differently and think about possibilities for their future using creativity. So the night I, I teach is called transition night. And I think there's something very poetic about the fact that they helped us in our transition and now I get to come back and help in their transition. Yeah. Um, so from there, it sort of just grew, right? I met someone named Sarah Correll who runs a Friday, call, a Friday call called The Power of Our Story where veterans come on and tell their stories. Through that, I met Jeffrey Knight who brought me into Angels 14. He's one of the founders of Angels 14 along with, along with Dave DeQuelli. And the two of them got together um, because of a reason I feel like a lot of, of military veterans understand this idea of like the connection is gone, right? The community they had is no longer. And where, where, where do you find that kind of community where, where the person to the right of you and left you will die for you, mm -hmm. right? Like that's not easy to find. So they create this community that meets on Fridays and is under the, this umbrella of is a leadership call, right? How do you become, how do we come be, how do we come better leaders for our own lives and for, for the, the people in our lives? Um, but there's no real, and you've been on the call, there's no real structure to it. We just all get on there and we help each other, but yeah. we support each other. People introduce themselves, say what's going on in their lives, um, talk a little bit about whatever the topic is, but it always ends up in this amazing conversation that's so real and so deep and so connecting. And I've told them this before on the call that, you know, as a Vietnamese refugee, Asian Vietnamese in Santa Monica, where it's like, when I, when I grew up here, blonde hair, blue eyed, everything. Um, this is one of the first places in my life where I've really felt a place of belonging is in the, in the Angels 14 group. And I feel wow. like everyone kind of feels that way about that group where, where when they say it's all inclusive, everyone's welcome, they truly mean it. Yeah, and it's it's amazing. I've been going for a couple of months now, and it's phenomenal just getting on there and, and the way people open up and share what they've been going through. And it's all different branches. Mm -hmm. And yep. uh, that, that's crazy to get on there and see all the different branches helping each other out. And the connections I made even on LinkedIn, just for being on there have been yeah. phenomenal. So what do you want your legacy to be? 30 years from now? So my legacy, I do want, I mean, the, the veteran community has become very important to me. Mm -hmm. So I want to continue to contribute and give back to, to that community. I want that to be something that is part of my legacy, right? That I was able to support and help veterans in their transition, in suicide prevention, um, 
and that I, that I was able to, to make creativity. This is like kind of a little bit bigger, make creativity mainstream in the corporate world. So, how, how come you haven't written like a book? Uh, you know what? That's like, that's sort of back here. So, so I think that's, that's gotta be, like, I think I have to put, put that to the forefront of my, of, of, of my mindset and my goals. Yeah, my next question was going to be like, what's next for you? But I'm like, how has she not written a book on creativity and so much meat on the bone for a book right yeah. there? So I'm going to write that down that you, you're now working on a book. And you're <laughs> <laughs> like, you create that goal for me. I, I did that with someone that I was talking to someone the other day during one of these. And I was like, why, why do you not have a book? And they're like, oh, I've been wanting to. I was like, okay, I'm holding you to it. You got uh -huh. a book coming. Right. So. So Vaughn will have a book coming out shortly. Okay. So um, now you're working on that. So next time I'm on this podcast, I'll have my book. Yep. And you could, that's, well, I mean, and that was going to be my next thing to say was that that's the way we get you back on here is that you can promote your book. Um, that's right. But so what, what are some things that you see uh, in the near future, some projects, some uh, ideas you have, what are some things that you want to work on? So right now I am, I'm really pushing forward this whole like long-term training leadership canvas is my, is my leadership training company. And I think there's just so much room for that. I feel like there's um, like my, the, the companies I generally work with are, um, or my ideal client are high growth companies who are probably like about four to six years in the business. They've grown so much, but what they haven't done is paid attention to their culture or they've, and they haven't trained their leaders. And I think that's a detriment because then people start leaving, right? I, I hear this all the time. Um, because they're promoting people who are good at their job into managerial roles, but they have no, you know, they, ha they don't invest in their training to, be to make them leaders. So what I like to do is end that, right? So that I and come in here and create these, this leadership training program that prepares aspiring leaders and current leaders to actually lead teams to success. So there isn't a lot of transition. There's not a lot of turnover. Uh, so my push this year is really to get more companies to sign up for Leadership Canvas, this long-term leadership training through creativity. And, and also to make my, and this is something that, again, like I, two years ago, I said not a chance, but to make my work more accessible to more people, I'm working on a digital course. And not so oh, much wow. about leadership training, but just this idea of how do you bring creativity into your workplace so that there's more innovation, there's more idea sharing. So creating a course on that and that should launch probably in the fall. You can talk about that with your book. Okay. So yes. your online, your online course and your book. Okay. No, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. I think that's, there's definitely a, even a, like the stuff we do with our students here, I've been talking, I've been plugging you with our students that come oh, through here and I'm, I've been telling them about all the amazing stuff you're doing. And, and that's, it's so weird that you bring that up because one of them was like, is there like a sort of, is there a course or a certification thing or anything that she has? Um, so that's, that's perfect. Great. Now, before we um, wrap up this episode, um, you know, I mentioned at the, the beginning of this, when we start talking about your parents, that your father just passed away and uh, to kind of celebrate your father's legacy, what do you want your father to be known for? For those out there that, we're never fortunate enough to interact with your father. Uh, if you don't mind, take a couple of minutes just to kind of celebrate who oh, he was. Yeah, so my dad was, and it's interesting to like now hear from other people's perspectives. Like he was just someone who always did the right thing, right? And he always did the right thing. He loved his family. Um, 
and he was he was a protector like he was a protector always loved his family always did the right thing and one story i i, I want to share is you know we were ca- we we're a catholic family and we went to church one time and i was like eight or nine years old and i they had all these like pamphlets in the front of the church so i took four or five of the same ones because I wanted to play school, right? I wanted to like give it out. I was going to school to my sister and my brother and neighbors and play teacher. And my sister told on me, she's like, oh, Ben took all these pamphlets. And he said, that's okay. She can take the pamphlets. But he looked and he's like, they're all the same one. You don't need all the same one. So he turned the car around and made me put them back. Like this is the type of man he was. Like he always did the right thing. Um, and he was, you know, to me now, my dad was like, when I, I was growing up, and I think a lot of kids feel as well, like you don't really know your, who your parents are and you only see them for what you see, what, for what you see. And he was very strict on us. Um, he was always very stern, but now to see him as a full human being, and I, I encourage everyone to try to see their parents living or past as a full human being. Because um, the stories I hear from him now is how gregarious he was, how he made people feel comfortable, how he made people laugh, he was funny. Um, so just, so in, in like this whole like honoring him is honoring him as um, as a full human being and knowing that he was someone honorable, always did the right thing and made people feel comfortable as a protector. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, final thing here is, uh, you know, where can people get in contact with you, find out more information about you and all the amazing things that you're doing? Well, I always hang out on LinkedIn, so you can find me on LinkedIn under my name. My, uh, my website is worksmartadvantage.com, and I think that's a great place to go to find out more about my work because there's some videos on there, and it's, it's sometimes it's hard for people to grasp what the concept of bringing creativity into the workplace looks like, so I started creating some videos. Oh, and I do have to plug that I started a YouTube channel under my name, Von Lydamone. And again, that has some nice tips on how to bring curiosity into your life, how to bring creativity in your life, and also some videos about the work I do in the, in, in the corporate world. Yeah, and it's, that is a very popular page. Uh, a lot of subscribers to it, got a lot of really good videos. So definitely go, go subscribe to that as well. Well, ma'am, I cannot thank you enough for taking time to, to be a guest. This is something that we had, we had circled for quite some time and, yes. and really wanted to make this happen. What final comments do you have for the listeners? Um, not too much. Just like go out and be creative, do something creative every day. And creativity isn't all about arts and crafts or being talented at that. It's about coming up with new ideas, putting things together, or even driving to work in, in a different route. Right. Anything you just like that's different than the day before is is creativity. I like it. Well, ma'am, thank you very much for taking time to be with us here today. And folks, that is going to conclude this episode of the Shadows Podcast. Go check out our new webpage, www.theshadowspodcast.com. Five stars. Five stars. <laughs> See y'all next week. Bye.